Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Playful Humans podcast. I'm your host, Mike Montague. My guest this week is a author, poet, musician, artist, and entrepreneur named David Chislett. And we're going to talk with him about what it's like to play for a living. You can find him at davidchislett.com and you can find Playful Humans at playfulhumans.com. Both very easy names to remember today. (laughs) Website. So go check them out. You can join the club at Playful Humans, other adults rediscovering the power of play and take a quiz. Find out how playful you are. Playfulhumans.com. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast. We like to start with the joke of the week. Uh, The joke of the week is brought to you by your password. Your password is a password with a capital P uh, hashtag or pound sign number one. It's time to change your password. That's your uh, (laughs) that. Uh, The joke of the week is, did you hear about the dad who chugged eight sodas? No. He threw seven up. Oh, no. <laughs> That's almost as bad as the one I was going to tell. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a joke for us? Yeah, totally. So uh, a white horse walked into a bar and the barman said, why the long face? <laughs> nice. Yeah. No, it's a classic for sure. <laughs> Sorry. I warned you. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it's for. No worries. Get us started off on the right foot. I like to set a low bar here at Playful <laughs> Humans and then we'll, we can go up from here. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what you do. I met you at the the Playful Creatives Summit, which I yeah. you hosted uh, with your partner there. And it was a, an amazing time. You interviewed a ton of playful and creative humans. Tell us a little bit about your work and how you spend your time and play for a living. All right. So I'm a creativity activator. I believe that all human beings are creative, but most of the time we've just kind of been socialized and educated out of it. So my mission in life is to reactivate the inherent creativity of as many people as I can get my hands on or my Zoom connection on Mm -hmm. at this stage. And uh, which means I pretty much do play for a living. Uh, You you can't separate creativity from play. You you want to play properly, you've got to be creative. You want to be creative, you've got to learn how to play. So it's it's uh, the summit was a logical coming together of those two aspects um, of of things. You know, I mean, it's like where do you draw the line? But apart from the summit, uh, as you mentioned, I, I'm a writer. I'm a poet. I've uh, published a number of weird and wonderful things over the years. But what I do on a day to day basis is I kickstart people and I help people get unstuck using creative thinking skills. So I do keynote speeches. Uh, I host workshops, I do webinars, and I do one-on-one coaching, all focused around the idea of using creativity to help us solve the problems which are keeping us stuck, wherever that may be in our lives. Yeah, I think that's so awesome and, and super fun that you get to do that, but also that um, it, it's kind of amazing to me that we're all born naturally creative. I, I think the the research shows that like 80% of middle schoolers are genius levels at creativity. Uh, yeah. before they turn 12 and then after high school or whatever, it's down to like 20%. So yeah. from your experience, why do you think people really struggle with creativity? Well, I think it's because it, it's the, it's just the way we're socialized, you know? Um, 
since the Industrial Revolution, we live in a world which is black, white, yes, no, on, off, wrong, right. And creativity is gray. It's ambiguous. It's about the spaces in between the existing options. It's about imagination, projection, association. And so I think a lot of us have had some really awkward experiences as a result of being very creative when young, which has resulted in a lot of negative judgment and, and, and penalties, um, which has you know, just educated us out of the inclination to think creatively when confronted with situations. Instead, we employ systems thinking and, and, and a reductionist worldview. And yeah, I mean, it's a tragedy because creativity is what brought us all of this stuff in the first place. And now we've been so creative with it that actually the robots can do all of that dog work anyway. And maybe we can get back to being creative beings once again, uh, once we get over ourselves and allow AI to actually do all the dog stuff and we can get on with the interesting stuff. <laughs> it's interesting that you said that because that's my belief for sure is that um, hopefully as we automate more things or maybe we don't even need to work for a living, right? Yeah. If if we can colonize Mars, that means we can build a society without humans involved because you can't send somebody there without everything they need to survive. If we can do that on Mars, we could do it here, right? We could build everything we needed to survive. And then what the, what the role of humans becomes is a really interesting question to me. I, I think the answer for me is, well, our role would be to play and enjoy life and, and spend all of it in recreation and creation. Uh, but is that the same answer for you? It sounds like you're going down that same path. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we are actually astonishing. We're so astonishing that we don't see it. You know, every single day you solve a vast array of problems using your creative capacity. You know, there's a traffic jam. You find a different route to work. Uh, the door hinges loose. You use a butter knife to tighten a screw. Um, yeah, you want to get a promotion. So you essentially fantasize about the road from where you are to being the general manager. And then you act on that fantasy and make it reality. I mean, that's magic, right? I mean, that, you know, there's a whole book written about that called The Secret. But, yeah. <laughs> but in actual fact, that's what we do every single day. When you make a five-year plan for yourself or your career, that's what you're doing. You are creating a future. But we don't call those activities creative. We like to keep creativity in a little box labeled art which is populated by drag addicts and weirdos. Uh, hmm. And therefore, normal right-thinking people stay as far away from that as possible. And when AI takes away the meaningless, dreary jobs, which are actually making us all insane, what else are we going to do except revert to that? I, I can't see it. I mean, why would anybody want to be bored out of their mind doing meaningless tasks over and over and over again when you don't have to? Yeah, it's so interesting to me because I think the industrial age needed humans to be machines. And we set up the schools to train people to be machines, right? Stand on right. a factory line and help us move this through. But as we develop more of them, we need to get back to what we were doing before. Uh, right? And, Absolutely. And, uh, it's so... Uh, it's so interesting to me that too, that you said about these, uh, these polar opposites. Like, I don't know if it's culture and just our social media these days. I, I really am struggling to find out what, what the actual truth is or the, the actual stats are. I'd be interested to see if you've heard any research, but I feel like me personally, my dad's side of the family was all business and all very driven and stuff. And my mom's side was all creative. And so I've always felt like I've been in the middle that when I, I work too much or I design computer programs or websites, I go, you know what? I need to be a little bit more creative or I need to mix it up with, with humans and be more playful. 
when I was a radio DJ and, and karaoke host and game show host and stuff, I go, well, that's fun, but it also wears me out. Like I need to read a book or something when I'm done. And I feel like there's a place for both, but maybe not in our society. People don't like it when you joke at business meetings or you're serious about your art, right? Yeah. Uh, do you find that to be true? Yeah, we've, we've, and I, I don't know the answer to this one, but we, we have constructed a world where what we do defines who we are. So anything that threatens your identity by requiring mm. you to behave in a different way makes us very, very scared. Uh, and when we're scared, we push back hard. And so if you look what happens on social media, polarization is the immediate result. It's like, wow, I'm a conservative. You can't talk to me about um, free healthcare because that that attacks my sense of identity about what being a conservative is. Forgetting for the fact that being conservative is a mental construct that nobody can really define and that you're a human being um, who's got way more nuance available to you than a mental construct. But it seems to me that that's what's going on. We're, we're so tied up in identity politics that we are unable to just be and we, and we fight like hell to defend those things. Yeah, you reminded me of one of my favorite philosophies, which is just kind of like the yes and or both and uh, philosophy of creatives that, well, yeah, maybe I can be pro environment and pro individual rights uh, and liberties, right? Maybe I, I don't have to pick one or the other, or, yeah. or maybe I can be serious and fun at the same time, right? Seriously I don't have fun. to... <laughs> Divine. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is a great book, uh, by the way, too. That, that's yeah. a, a new book that came out this year. You, you see, it's easy to manage widgets and widgets don't have blurry edges. They fit nicely mm -hmm. into slots. And so, again, a side effect of the industrial age is this tendency to want people to look and behave like widgets so they can fit neatly into little boxes, you know, little terrace houses on the hill <laughs> uh, and little terrace schools down the road. And you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that as we get further and further down the road from the Industrial Revolution, that um, mental health problems are on the rise because a vast number of the population, particularly in the, in the you know, industrialized West, are being forced to deny that a huge proportion of their personality and their natural inclinations just doesn't, you know, they're denying that it exists. Uh, and that's, any psychologist will tell you that being in denial is bad for you long-term. And so if you look at our society with rising depression rates, problematic suicide rates, psychosis, mass murders. Anxiety uh, and stress, and, everything. Right? It's all over the place. And it's because we're not being, we're not complete because the way we teach our kids to live is not complete because, hey, we've got to make the man some money and uh, then we've got to fit into a box. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really hoping that AI is going to change all of that. Um, but of course, you know, what is well on course to happen is that AI will land in the hands of the extremely wealthy elite and the rest of us will go and live on the streets. Yeah, sure. We won't have to work, but we, but we won't have anything either. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, am still hopeful that there is an abundant reality out there, right? There, there has to come a point and I, I think it needs to, for me, uh, we're getting a little political here than we, we normally do, but I think it need it's going to come to a point where, it has to be global, right? Uh, yep. Where we realize that Amazon is bigger than the United States economy. We need to do something about that. And that's not okay for, for one man to have more than a country right. of 300 million because they're already bigger than most company, most countries, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it, 
I think once people realize that in the larger countries, they'll go, wait a second, that, that doesn't seem right. We need to, we need to figure out some way to help all of the world and not just uh, some of it. But uh, I want to roll this back and ask a little bit uh, about you because Hmm. I think it's really interesting how people land in creative professions. And (laughs) it sounds like you were always creative and you never even tried to go into the box, but did you ever have quote, like a real job or, or find yourself losing your creativity? No, I mean, I've always quite struggled to find the box that people are talking about stepping out of (laughs) (laughs) box. What box? Um, I'm the youngest of five children uh, and quite a bit younger than my older siblings. So when I was of reading age, say you know, eight, 10, um, I had four older siblings and two parents who were avid readers and the house was just a wash in books. Um, my, wow. my brothers were huge music fans. My mother was a chorister. So the house was a wash in music. And I just grew up in this kind of artificial reality of, of literature and well, not even literature, just pulp fiction sometimes um, <laughs> and pop music and classical music and, and, I grew up in South Africa. We didn't even get television until I was 12 years old. And, you know, as the youngest, there was very little pressure put on me to, to uh, conform, I guess, to meet a certain benchmark. So yeah, you're right. I, I kind of slipped between the cracks and I, I was off, off, off the road, baying like a hound off to the moon, writing poetry, joining bands, uh, just doing whatever I was interested in right from the word go. And and my parents, I think, were pretty tired by the time I came along and they <laughs> they certainly <laughs> weren't making much effort to push me into a box. So uh, that that's pretty much where it all started, yeah. Well, thank your older brothers and sisters because I'm the oldest and yeah. I got to tell you, the firstborn gets a lot of rules and a lot of expectations <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that the fifth yeah. one doesn't. They always moan about that part. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, it's funny. Uh, but when we when we chip down those walls, you, you benefit uh, for sure. What yeah. about uh, the career then? So it sounds like um, you experimented with a lot of different things. How did you figure out a way to play for a living and actually, you know, support yourself and, and make money at it. Yeah. I, you know, looking back at it all, it's just, it's really blurry. I mean, I really had no clue what I was doing. I, uh, I left high school um, with a kind of substandard high school pass could, could probably get into university, but this was still a part of South Africa. And because I was not really fitting into a box, I hadn't really got my stuff together to, enroll at university, which meant I got conscripted into the army where I ended up spending a year and a half. And then when Mandela was released uh, from jail, conscription was ended and I was released from army six months early and then sort of knocked about, ended up going to university ostensibly to study law, dropped that like a hot potato after six months, majored in philosophy and literature. And that's when I started playing in bands. And that was really the genesis, you know, um, in high school, I'd learned how to play guitar and learned how to play bass. And with a very good f- friend of mine from, from junior school, we'd started converting a lot of the poems I'd written into songs. And that oh, trajectory cool. just continued through university. And it was literally just a matter of me having done a couple of things, which then put me at, in intersections where people said, hey, have you tried this? And I'd be like, no, okay, let me try it. And then and then a few steps further down the line, someone's saying, hey, have you tried this? And so I went from being the bass player in a band to being the guy who booked all the gigs for the band, to being manager of bands, to being the journalist who wrote about bands, to being the guy on the radio who spoke about the scene, uh, to being uh, the guy who got called up by TV shows to talk about the scene, to being the guy who had a PR company 
and management agency putting on shows, marketing, and so on and so on and so on. Um, but it all came down to the fact that when I was 10, I started writing poetry. And eventually I got to a stage where none of it really felt like it was mine because mm. it, it literally been I'd, I'd done some stuff because I was interested and then an opportunity presented itself. And because I'm a perpetual cruiser, I was able to just kind of cruise in and figure it out and, 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 and do it. And that would lead to something else. It was never like I'd ever said to myself, this is what I want. I'm going after that. And I'm going to, and then, it, so when you achieve it, it's like, yes, but some sense of fulfillment, some sense of like ownership over the result. I kind of got to the age of 38 and was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and that's when I went, okay, that's not good. Um, mm-hmm. And at that stage, I then put together a collection of short stories that I'd always been writing that no one had ever seen, uh, put together a collection of poetry, stuff I'd been messing around with on, on Facebook. Um, I put together a book of business advice for starter musicians based on my 20 years working with bands in the underground music scene. Cool. And I was like, right, I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to go and put it all out there. Yeah. Um, and that's when my life really started to take a change. I was much more focused on this idea of as a working creative person, uh, making a living out of it rather than making a living out of helping creative people do cool stuff. I love that. And I can really relate to several parts of it, but the midlife renaissance, I, I think is really who this podcast is for. And a lot of people are are relating that, especially coming out of the pandemic here that, you know, we had to take stock and think about it and what do we really enjoy doing or how do we make yeah. ourselves happy when we're alone by ourselves, right? We can't yeah. just, uh, well, a lot of people did just distract themselves, but it, it, yeah. it quieted down enough, I think, to give people time to think. But um, I also love what you said about becoming a writer and, and hitting publish on that. To me, that seems like something a lot of people would struggle with. Did you struggle with the imposter syndrome or, or feeling like writer was a, a real job uh, and that this was going to work? Or were well, you pretty confident by that point that you would? Well, I'd been published as an author for, for like 15 years, not as an author, as a journalist for 15 years up to that point. So oh, that's right. yeah. I, you know, I had an idea that I could string a sentence together and that nobody was laughing. Um, but the publishing poetry thing, what, what saved me there was that I'd been sharing these poems on Facebook. And so what would happen is I would, I would one day I would, I'd have a piece where I'm just like, oh man, that is, I can be proud of that. Linguistically, stylistically, content-wise, like, wow, that's a, yeah. put it up on Facebook. And it just be tumbleweeds, yeah. crickets, just nothing, nothing, not a word. I'll be like, oh, oh, okay. And then a couple of days later, I put up another piece. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a bit, it's cliched. Maybe, I don't know, more. maybe it's not quite finished. I'll put it up anyway. And people are like, wow, you read my mind. This is how I feel. I've got so, oh. and these enormous reactions. And I, and I suddenly realized that actually my opinion of what I'm doing is utterly worthless. It doesn't matter what I think. People, you know, I mean, it's very postmodern. I mean, people are going to think what they're going to mm-hmm. think anyway. But in terms of imposter syndrome, it was like a concrete demonstration of the fact that it didn't matter what I thought about what I was doing. Because I'm putting it out into a world hoping people are going to buy it. So what matters is what they think about it. And I just stopped caring. I'm like, I still don't know if I'm really a good poet or not. And I don't really mm-hmm. care. I like writing poetry. Um, I self-publish. It's a challenge. 
putting out a new book. I had to learn a whole bunch of stuff about EPUB formatting and digital distribution and what a what a what a what a. And I'm going to be lucky if I sell 300 copies worldwide. And I don't mm-hmm. care <laughs> because I have been writing poetry for 40 years. I'm not going to stop now just because a book didn't sell. And uh, yeah. that for me is a big realization. Huge. Well, I, I agree. And second, so much of that, right? If it is something that's playful and, and fun for you, the act of publishing is not the important part. Uh, but I also love uh, what you said about being a journalist and being a writer. And I think the act of doing it makes so much uh, so much difference. And I, I also heard in there, I, I found that with my blog posts and other things that I've done on social media and internet marketing that you really can't tell what's going to go viral or what other people. If you like. could, people would be um, making so much money out of that stuff. Right. right. Yeah. It's just like stocks. If you could accurately pick stocks and stuff, you would be very rich and other people would be paying you to do that, but nobody can. Um, and so, gosh, it, it is interesting. You have to make it for yourself then is what I'm hearing. And then the publishing part of the success part of it is, uh, you know, up to the world or, or the universe, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a project, so I'm going to do it properly. I've done my mm-hmm. research. I've, I've, I've pulled in a network of friends to help me. Uh, I've got a mate down the road from where I live in the Netherlands who's done a lot of e-publishing. He's given me tons of tips. Uh, another friend in Lithuania designed the cover. Um, you know, a, another friend um, down the road here has given me uh, yeah, editing content input. Um, I, I pre-published all of the poems on Patreon. So I've had feedback from the people who are my patrons on that site. And so, you know, it's it's impossible to see this book as an end point when its genesis right. goes back so far. And it's I'm now also organizing multimedia collabs where I've got musician friends turning the poems into songs and illustrated drawing some stuff. And it's just, it's like, well, when the book actually comes out and you can buy it on Amazon and everywhere else, that won't even be the end point because every month there'll be a new collab coming out. You know? And I like that, you know, it's, it's a I love that too, because it goes back to our, our creative stuff uh, of that um, people want there to be a beginning and an end. A lot of people see publishing the book as the end, but I, I've also published a book and that's the beginning of, yeah. of the process. That's the easy that's part. The end. That's, yeah, that's the beginning. Um, but uh, it's also, I feel like creative work is never really finished. It, it's sort of just, good enough, right? Do, do you feel that way that there's no creative idea that's like, oh, it, it's, you know, solved forever. Uh, that one's fixed right. or, or done, right? Because it's not a finite game because you're not playing to win, mm-hmm. right? You're playing so you can carry on playing. So it's actually really important that it's not ever done because otherwise you'd stop. Right. And, you know, I, I love the poetry. infinite game stuff. Right. So I've only recently discovered it, which is possibly why I'm still so enthusiastic about it. But it just makes so much sense to me. All of a sudden, it's like, hang on, why am I actually doing this? You know, I, I'm not publishing a poetry book to win a Pulitzer or a, or whatever, or a book of <laughs> right. You know, I, I'm I'm massively aware of the fact that I'm not going to make money off the sales. I mean, like as in a living. So why right. am I doing it? Well, I'm doing it because I want to keep on doing it. And this is this is one of the ways that enable me to keep on doing it. And that shift is 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 huge. You know, the guy at the office who's who's just wanting to be the best to get the promotion to become the boss. When he becomes the boss, how is he going to deal with all those people he stomped on on the way up? Because he hasn't played the game. 
in a way that allows him to continue to play the game into the future. And I think that's why creative things quite often, you know, at some stage you've just got to say, okay, I'm stopping now. Not because it's finished, but because like it'll never be finished if I don't stop sometime. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. That's definitely where I've been trying to go as well, especially with Playful Humans is not putting pressure on it to make money or be profitable or be popular or whatever is let it uh, be what it is and let it be fun and, and yep. playful. And that's the important part of it and uh, see where that goes. Uh, if yep. people don't like it or guests don't want to keep going, then it will stop being fun and, and playful. If they do, then it'll continue going. And so far it's been really great. I've had over uh, 50 guests in this uh, first half of the year. So um, that's more than enough to keep it going, which is exactly what you said. And I, I did want to shout out and do the um, the links really quick. So I know um, uh, Simon Sinek has a new book on the infinite game for business people, but yes. I recommend the original essays. Uh, if you look up, just Google infinite game essay, yeah. uh, really good stuff there. Your website is davidchislett.com. If people want to check right. that out and hire you for creativity workshops and stuff, but tell us about the book and where they can find that. Yeah, well, the, the new poetry book, they can actually also find on, on davidchislett.com. There's a books tab up in the navigation on the top. If you click on that, the new poetry book's the first option. And uh, if you click on the buy button, it'll it'll pop up a, a, a landing page with links to Kobo, to Google, to Apple, to... Oh, there's also an audiobook version. So if you're not a, a reading poetry kind of person, you can also do the do the audiobook and uh, play it on the car. Cool. Or, Love that. Or wherever. So my last question for you is, do you want to play or do you want to walk away? I want to play. All right. We're going to spin our wheel of games. There's 10 games on here that it could land on. And you got two truths and a lie. We haven't played this oh. one in a while. So right. two truths and a lie is pretty easy. You say uh, two fun facts about yourself that are true. And then one that is a lie. I'll go first and let you guess here. All right. Um, I lettered in four different sports in high school. I um, won the science knowledge bowl in high school and I was the kicker for the football team in high school. The last one's a lie. Ah, man, I get busted on this all the time. I must not be a good liar. Uh, I went uh, if to one practice as a <laughs> kicker yeah. and decided soccer was much more fun uh, for me. So yeah. uh, I played. I just figured that, that, that playing four sports it doesn't leave enough time to specialize as a kicker. that's right well track and cross country are pretty easy because if you're running five miles a day for soccer (laughs) you can pretty much do those two and uh basketball was the fourth one so nice guess how about you all right um i am a totally awesome chef i uh have published more than eight books and i used to be a heavyweight boxer oh um man i'm gonna believe the books because you've named at least four so that makes it chef or boxer and i'm gonna say you're a lover not a fighter i'm gonna say the last one was a lie too yeah yeah you're right (laughs) (laughs) nicely done we're easy reads but that's not a bad thing my friend thanks for playing (laughs) pleasure any other final asks or gives for our audience how can we help you how can you help me well i'm available to do this kind of thing and if you uh, need a kickstart because you're stuck with a challenge or, or what to do next and you, yeah, I mean, chances are you really actually do know what you want to do next. You're just not sure how to get there. 
um, yeah, I specialize in using my creative thinking skills to help people unlock that and to get going. So I'm contactable through my website anytime. Uh, book an intake interview with me and let's see what we can do together. Sounds great. Again, that website is davidchislett.com. For more information on Playful Humans, you can go to playfulhumans.com where we have uh, two cool things for you. Obviously, you can subscribe to this podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Subscribe, hit the notifications button there. That would be awesome. And the community, it's the Playful Humans Club. You can find the link at the website, Playful Humans, and join this community of other adults rediscovering the power of play, sharing your creativity with the world inside the website. Let's do it. Here we go. Don't wait for tomorrow. Live for today. Keep on chasing the sunshine. And go out and play. Go play, everybody.